I'm Tom Hughes, and I've been working on a powerful project with Olivier Melnick. We live at a time when there's not one day that goes by when we don't hear about Israel or the Middle East on the news. Parallel to that, there's been an increase in acts of anti-Semitism all over the globe. How does this affect you, and what can you do about it? Anti-Semitism through the ages. Will the hatred ever stop? Visit HopeForOurTimes.com to order your copy of this powerful documentary. You will be educated, encouraged, and equipped. Visit HopeForOurTimes.com today to order your copy. Thanks for listening to this week's message. If you're blessed by this podcast, please subscribe. Once you do, you'll be able to stay up to date with all our latest messages. This week, we'll be in Revelation 1 with a special message from Harry Walker entitled, Christ Glorified. Let's get into it. All right. Well, all day today, since Pastor Tom uh, let everybody know that I was going to be speaking this evening, I don't know how many people have come up to me and asked me, well, Harry, what are you going to teach on? And it's like, really easy. My favorite subject, Jesus. How about that, huh? Yeah, it is my favorite subject. And I'm going to be in the book tonight that has 404 verses in it. It's a great book. You know why? It's the only book that comes with a blessing. Yeah, the only book that comes with a blessing. And there's a promise to each and every one of us that hear or read the words of that prophecy they will be blessed. That's what the verse says. So tonight what we're going to do is we're going to hear from Jesus himself and the disciple John. Tonight's title is Christ Glorified. We're going to be in chapter 1, and we're going to be looking at verses 9 through 16 tonight. So this morning also Pastor Tom talked about over 100 clear and distinct prophecies in the Old Testament that will confirm the prophecies of Jesus Christ coming in the New Testament. And so tonight, it just so happens I'm going to be talking about some of those prophecies that confirm that. So let me set the stage here for you. John is in his 90s. Uh, He's a prisoner on the island of Patmos. He's in prison for proclaiming the word of God and for the testimony of Jesus Christ. And tonight we're going to find in our study verses that the first vision that Jesus gives John, it's the vision of Jesus Christ himself. And believe me, it is an eyeful, an eyeful. We're going to find that Jesus' description of himself is in no way, shape, or form, comes close to the paintings that we have all seen hanging, none whatsoever. So at this time, open your Bibles to the book that is called The Unveiling of Jesus Christ, It's the book that we know as the book of Revelation, chapter 1, verses 9 through 16. What I'd like to have you do is follow along with me as I read those verses, and then I'm going to pray for tonight's service. Revelation, chapter uh, chapter 1, verse 9. I, John, both your brother and companion in the tribulation and kingdom and patience of Jesus Christ, was on the island that is called Patmos for the word of God and for the testimony of Jesus Christ. I was in the Spirit on the Lord's day, and I heard behind me a loud voice as a trumpet, saying, I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last. And what you see, write in a book and send it to the seven churches which are in Asia, to Ephesus, to Samaria, to Pergamos, to Thyatira, to Sardis, 
to Philadelphia and to Laodicea. Then I turned to see the voice that spoke with me. And having turned, I saw seven golden lampstands. And in the midst of the seven lampstands, one like the Son of Man, clothed with a garment down to the feet and girded about the chest with a golden band. His head and hair were white like wool and white as snow and his eyes like a flame of fire. His feet were like fine brass as if refined in a furnace and his voice as the sound of many waters. He had in his right hand seven stars. Out of his mouth went a sharp two-edged sword and his countenance was like the sun shining in all of its strength. Heavenly Father, I just thank you again for giving us another opportunity to study your word tonight. And Lord, I just ask that in the way that you can do it, if you will help us apply it to our lives. Lord, I thank you for your gift of grace and your salvation through your Son, Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. Lord, help us to submit to the leading and guiding of the Holy Spirit in our daily walk with you. Lord, help us also to never forget that you are the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, Savior and Lord, creator of all. And thank you for being our sustainer, our protector, and setting upon us the solid rock of Jesus Christ. For you are the one who was and who is and who is to come, the Almighty. May we be a blessing to you with our praise and worship of your word tonight. In the name of Jesus Christ, amen. Amen. All right, so... First of all, let's take a look back for some context, exactly what John is doing. In verses 1 through 8 of Revelation 1, Jesus has asked John to write letters to seven churches. Now, these churches are real churches, real churches then and real churches today. They represent the churches. They represent them, and these letters are going out to give the churches their merits and their problems. In other words, the good the bad, and the ugly. In verses 4 through 8, we find John beginning the letter with a gr greeting of encouragement from Jesus saying this, grace to you and peace from him who is and who was and who is to come. In other words, here we find that Jesus is the author of these words, but John is the penman. He is writing it. When we get into chapters 2 and 3, we find of, of Revelation, we're going to find that this letter went to each one of these churches outlining the issues Jesus had with each and every one of them. In verse 9, our first study verse for tonight, John begins a letter identifying himself as a brother and a companion. Now, when John says brother, he means brother just as you and I mean brother and or sister when we greet another fellow Christian. And John is saying here that he is a believer just as they, in other words, they are those Christians of that day and us today. We also see where John uses the word companion. With that word, what John is doing is he's reinforcing the times that he lived alongside these believers of his day because John walked with them day by day in their midst as a companion, someone by their side during their tribulations, during their trials, during their afflictions, during their sufferings, and also their persecutions, their persecutions. And we heard from Pastor Tom this morning, allude to the persecutions of the Christians then and also today. 
We also find in John's letter that these churches know where he is, where John is. He's been banished to the island of Patmos. He's been banished there, arrested, and sentenced to be in jail basically on this island for the high crime of refusing to stop proclaiming the word of God and for the testimony of Jesus Christ, for which he is guilty of. He was guilty. He was persecuted in those days for boldly proclaiming the word of God. The island of Patmos is known, uh, we would know it today as Alcatraz. Very similar, very similar. It's a small rocky island. It's about 40 to 50 miles off the, the, from the city of Ephesus. In verse 10, John tells us the day when Jesus is commissioning him to write this letter. He says it was on the Lord's Day. Now, depending on who you talk to, most will say the Lord's Day is Sunday, the first day of the week, which most believers also believe is Resurrection Day. Now, of course, we also know that the early Christians of that day did worship in the Jewish synagogues on the Sabbath day, the last day of the week. However, during Revelation times, the Jewish were banned from going, excluded from going into the synagogues. And, on that, and what they did was they started meeting on the day that they honored the resurrection, and that would have been the first day of the week what we know, Sunday. We also have to remember that Jesus was not giving a message for himself. He was giving this message to build up the faith of those in these churches. Now, everybody uh, remember that went to school progress reports or parent-teacher conferences? That's what's happening here. God the Father is talking to his children, and he's got some issues with all of them, and we all know what a lot of it is when in Revelation chapter 2 and, and 3. Um, so yeah, these letters to these churches were like what we would know as a parent-teacher conference. John, we see, also describes the voice that he hears from Jesus as being loud as a trumpet. The voice came to him unexpectedly, and it was delivered to get John's attention. Jesus wanted all of John's attention for this. So in verse 11, what we find is this, that John is repeating to the seven churches what Jesus had told him over in verse 8, the, first, the verse right before the one of our study verse, where he said, I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last. And we all know the words Alpha and Omega are the beginning and the ending letters of the Greek alphabet. So Jesus is saying he is the beginning. He is the ending of all things. We also notice in verse 11, he uses the title, I am. I am. Very important. I am meaning he was always. He was before all things. He created all things. Matter of fact, the Gospel of John in chapter 1, verse 3, goes on to say this. All things were made through him, Jesus and without him, nothing was made that was made. So we see that all coming together. And we also know from the Old Testament with the phrase, I am, Jesus is declaring that he is the eternal God incarnate. You see, Jesus was quoting himself with the I am title that God gave himself 
in Exodus. That's one of the Old Testament prophecies that's coming into the New Testament to confirm Jesus was God. He's saying, tell him I was, I am. We all remember that from the book of Exodus. That was what uh, God told Moses how to answer the question from the children of Israel of God's name if they asked, what is his name? And God said to tell them, I am who I am. God knew that if they heard that, they would know those words and it would get their attention. In verse 11, we also find Jesus' definite approval of not only a letter being sent out to the seven churches, but for what we now know as the book of unveiling, the book of Revelation. And we see Jesus closing out verse 11 with the instruction of which seven churches he wants the le these letters to go to. In verse 12, we find John turning to see the voice that was as loud as a trumpet, meaning speaking with all authority. That's where that all comes in at. And when he, John, turned, he saw seven golden lampstands. Now, verse 13 confirms it is Jesus himself standing in the midst of those seven lampstands because we see verse 13 saying, one like the Son of Man. And we find Jesus himself frequently in the four Gospels identifying himself as the Son of Man. Even the prophet Daniel used that very same title in chapter 7, verse 13, when he said this, And behold, one like the Son of Man coming with the clouds of heaven. Another Old Testament prophecy being confirmed here in the New Testament. Now, I know that there's probably someone here or maybe someone online that is saying this. This is why I don't like the book of Revelation. Why is Jesus in the midst of the lampstands? And, you know, if you don't study it and you don't see the word, you don't realize that. But here's the reason. The reason being is this. No matter what the church faces, Jesus protects the church with all of his encompassing love and reassuring power. And Jesus Christ is still among the churches today. And how do we know that that's true? Because if you jump ahead to verse 20 of chapter 1 of Revelation, we see John writing, the seven lampstands which you saw are the seven churches. So we know for a fact that those seven lampstands are the churches. Now, that opens us up to another question. The question we can ask ourselves now is, why are the lampstands or candlesticks, depending on your translation, used as a symbol for the seven churches? Good question. But it's a pretty easy answer. The answer is that churches are to proclaim the light of Jesus Christ to the world. The picture Jesus is showing John to pass along the churches of then and now today is he stands in the middle of the church. The reason being is the church has received the light from Jesus. And just think of this, Jesus is in our midst right now. You see, unless Jesus stands in the middle of the church, the church does not have light. Think of it this way. If you want to light up a room that only has one light and one plug in, you don't put the pole lamp or the light in the corner. You put it in the middle of the room because then the light spreads out and it lights up the entire room. 
That's what Jesus is talking about here, being in the midst of a church, being in the middle of it. He lights up the whole room with his light. He's not stuck in the corner. Jesus said in, John, in the Gospel of John chapter 8, verse 12, I am the light of the world, and he who follows me shall not walk in darkness, but have the light of life. So now here, starting in verse 13 and going throughout verse 16, we find John's description of Jesus from his vision. However, before we begin, let me just say this, that this is a very serious picture of Jesus Christ. The reason why it's very serious is because we find Christ glorified. And that's why I titled this message, Christ Glorified, because that's the main body of our message tonight, Christ Glorified. And this description of Jesus should be taken very, very seriously. And the reason being is because each account of Jesus being glorified and of what he is wearing means something. It has a significant meaning. So let's begin with verse 13. And it's talking about Jesus, and it says this, clothed with a garment down to the feet and girded about the chest with a golden band. Here we find our Lord clothed with a garment. You're going to find this. This is another Old Testament prophecy being confirmed. Over in Exodus chapter 28, this is the way we see the high priests of that day. They wore long robes as they ministered in the holy place in the temple. So we see another Old Testament prophecy being fulfilled. You see, it was typically for the high priest. But now Jesus has risen. He's in heaven. He's performing his ministry of intercession. And we know what his ministry is because the writer of Hebrews tells us over in chapter 7, verse 25, it says this, He, being Jesus again, always lives to make intercession for us, them, and that is believers of then and today. That's you and I. And by the way, he does that intercession day and night because you know there's someone else that's ridiculing us. Yeah, the evil one himself, day and night, day and night. And Jesus is right there for us. The bottom line is that Jesus is our great high priest in our relationship with God. The prophet Isaiah over in chapter 6, verse 1 of Isaiah, John's vision was his own vision, saying this, I saw the Lord sitting on a throne, high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Another Old Testament prophecy fulfilling New Testament writings. We also see our Lord, he's girded up about the chest with a golden band. Again, this golden band signifies authority. Because the average man of the day wore a short tunic that was loose-fitting clothes. And we know that only because of the authority that the band signifies. And Jesus told us in Matthew 28, verse 18, right out of his own word, words, Jesus said, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. So we know Jesus is the ultimate authority. There's no getting around it. And in verse 14, John continues saying this. He says that his head and hair were like wool, as white as snow. By that, we also see that white hair indicates wisdom and a divine nature. And here's John's description, speaks of 
the time and confirms again the vision of Daniel, chapter 7, verse 9. This is what Daniel writes. And the hair of his head was like pure wool. Evidence of Jesus' glory and guess what? Another Old Testament prophecy fulfilling New Testament writings. Yes. Jesus knew what it was like to be tempted. He did. However, he is pictured with whiteness because of his righteousness. Let's, let's talk a little bit about the temptations that Jesus went through. Remember the 40-day fast in the wilderness? Satan came to him at a pretty weak moment, didn't he? He came to him with three temptations. The first one was a physical need, hunger. Satan said, hey, Jesus, if you're the son of God, you're hungry, turn those stones to bread. Jesus fought back, didn't he, with the word of God. The second temptation that Satan threw at him was possessions and power, putting God to the test. Satan said, throw yourself off here. The angels have charge over you. And the third temptation, and, that's a, and this is a tough one for a lot of us in this room, pride, pride. Satan offered Jesus to take the world as a politician ruler right then and there. Drive through instant governorship. Instant. You see, Satan did not want Jesus to fulfill Father God's will the plan of salvation for you and I. But Jesus beat him with the temptation. He beat him. He beat him. He shot back. Jesus shot back to Satan the word of God untwisted like the way it came to him. True. Hebrews chapter 7 verse 26 makes it clear that Jesus was holy. He was harmless. He was undefiled. He was separate from sinners and higher than the heavens. And just think, Jesus is the only one who ever lived who never had a guilty conscience. Wouldn't it be wonderful if you and I didn't have a guilty conscience? I don't know about you, but can I tell you every once in a while, I still bring up things to God that's way old stuff. And you know, Paul tells us not to dwell on the past or go back in the past, but go forward toward the goal, the prize, right? But somehow or another, Satan works his... his uh, demonish de deeds to us and we bring that up and we think about it and you know what happens to me and I hope that it happens to you too but again after for the hundredth or the umpteenth time of confessing some sin from the past I don't hear audibly but I hear in my spirit why did you remind me of that God doesn't want to be reminded of any of our old sins the Old Testament book tells us that he takes our sin and dumps it into the deepest part of the ocean. Why do we want to go fishing again? But we do. But we do. Think of this. Jesus is the only one who never had to confess sin. He was perfectly pure. Do you remember when Jesus was nailed to the cross and one of his seven statements as he was up there that the Bible gives us is, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do? The reason why I bring that up is, is because we never once hear of Jesus praying, Father, forgive me, because he was white as snow. He was perfect. He was pure. You see, 
He was the perfect sacrificial lamb, the one and the only one that could atone for your and my sins. Now in verse 14, John goes on to say this, his eyes like flame of fire. What we see there with that description is that eyes of fire symbolizes judgment of all evil. However, I also believe that this description has something else to let us know. I think it goes a little farther than that. Eyes like a flame of fire, you know. Think of this. If a fire or a flame is hot enough, it'll burn through almost anything, won't it? And we could say it's almost like x-ray vision. What John is also saying here is that the Lord has eyes of fire that can burn a hole right through our hearts. You see, Jesus has all penetrating nature of divine knowledge. He knows everything. He knows everything. And he knows everything about you and I. Everything. You know, can I tell you something? That nothing's hidden from Jesus. Whatever you and I do, whether it be in darkness or in daylight, nothing is hidden. He sees it all, and he knows it all. As a matter of fact, Jesus says over in Luke chapter 8, verse 17, For nothing is a secret that will not be revealed, nor anything hidden that will not be known. And guess what? Come to light. Come to light. You know, I read once about a small town out in the country where everybody knew one another. And some of us probably lived in some of those towns. As a matter of fact, I can remember living in Hemet when it was one of those towns. It's not that way anymore. But anyway, where everybody knew what everybody else was doing. You remember it, Pat? Yeah, I went to school with him. Well, the town's newspaper had a model that they proudly printed at the top of page one, and it said this, if you don't want it printed, don't let it happen. Yeah. Yeah. So brothers and sisters, let me tell you tonight, the moral of the story is this. If we don't want to be judged by our words, don't say them. Don't say them. If you don't want to be judged by your thoughts, don't think them. Because let me tell you something. Jesus makes it clear that every secret will be revealed. Everyone. Every one of them. And again, let me break this news to you. Jesus knows our secrets. He knows them. In verse 15, John says that he saw the Lord's feet were like fine brass, if as if refined in a furnace. This brass imagery tells us of judgment, which reminds us of the brazen altar at the tabernacle where sin was judged. Remember all the tools that were used at the outer court of the tabernacle? They were all made out of brass, every one of them. Even the sink where the priests washed their hands was made out of brass, including the tongs. They were made of brass because all of it represents judgment of God upon sin. I want to make this perfectly clear, too. Jesus Christ is the judge. He is the judge. And we know this because of Scripture. Jesus said in John chapter 5, verse 22, For the Father judges no one, but has committed all judgment to the Son. That's Jesus Christ. Jesus is the Son. Let me remind us all of this, too. 
It's been said in the choir of life, it's easy to fake the whole words. But someday, each and every one of us will have to give a solo before God. In a choir, we can lip sync. And everybody thinks you're singing. But there will come a time when we're face to face with our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ himself. Now, I realize that most people want to think of Jesus as being gentle and meek and mild. And yes, Jesus was the Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world. It's true. However, the Bible also tells us that he is the Lion of the tribe of Judah who one day will judge the sins of this world when he comes a second time. And John continues his description of the Lord saying this, his voice as the sound of many waters. You know, every time I read that verse, every time, and I read that phrase, the first thing I think about is Niagara Falls. I think of being at the bottom or the foot of Niagara Falls where I looked it up and there's some 12 million cubic feet of water rolling down every minute from Niagara Falls. The sound of Niagara Falls at the bottom has got to be just deafening. And that's where John's description tells us that the Lord's voice symbolizes authority. When a loud voice like that and the voice of God, it symbolizes authority. You see, on that day, there'll be no debate, there'll be no argument, there'll be no discussion to any of those that have rejected Jesus Christ. He will just say, it's too late. It is too late. I remember years ago, there used to be a commercial, and that commercial was advertising a stockbroker. And the commercial went with it like this. It said this, when E.F. Hutton speaks, everyone listens. Maybe some of you remember it. But let me tell you this. On the day of the Lord, all other voices, none other voices will be still. It'll all be still by the deafening and the overpowering voice of the Son of God, Jesus Christ. Nobody will be able to interrupt him. No one. Not a soul will be able to interrupt him. A matter of fact, in John chapter 5, verse 28, Jesus goes on to say this. The hour is coming in which all, A-L-L, all who are in the graves will even hear his voice. His voice will escape no one. The bottom line is the voice of the Lord is so full of majesty that everyone, both alive and dead, will hear his voice. It will escape no one. Then in verse 16, John continues saying about the Lord, out of his mouth went a sharp-edged two-edged sword. And this two-edged sword is the word of God. And again, this, this is so easy to explain. The reason why is because the writer of Hebrews tells us in chapter 4, verse 12, for the word of God is living and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword. So really the point is this. God's word is a weapon. And that weapon will either convict you to be saved or it will cut you if you receive, refuse to be saved. In other words, it cuts either way. It will cut to bless or it will cut to bleed. And you see, it's always been our choice, always. It's been our free will to either accept Jesus 
or reject Jesus. So again, Scripture answers Scripture. In Revelation, back over in chapter 19, verse 11, John talking about seeing the one that sits on the white horse called Faithful and True, and that's Jesus Christ. And in John 15, four verses later, in, uh, in, uh, in Revelation, John says this, Now out of the mouth goes a sharp sword, that with it he, Jesus, should strike the nations. Strike the nations. So the bottom line is, the only weapon Jesus has is the word of God, because that's the only weapon that Jesus needs is the word of God. It's a powerful and, for, and, and the force of his message. That's all he needs is the word of God. And then we find John closes out his description of the Lord in verse 16 saying this, his countenance was like the sun shining in the strength of it. He's bright. He is the bright shining light. We need to remember also as we picture in the book of Revelation of the, the Lord Jesus Christ is not, someone who, who is not someone who's coming as a Savior the second time. The first time he came as a Savior. He came to save us. He didn't come to judge the world. He came to save the world. But when he comes the second time, he's not coming as a Savior. He's not coming. He's coming as a judge. And the Bible tells us that every person one day is going to meet Jesus face to face. And you will either meet him as your savior or you will meet him as your judge. And know this, that Jesus is not only Christ. He is the Lord Jesus Christ. The Bible tells us too that when we come before him that every knee is going to bow and every tongue that Jesus Christ is Lord. The atheist when they come in front of Jesus Christ, will realize that Jesus is the Son of God. He is the Savior of the world. And they will bow. And they will recognize Him as the Savior. He is the real McCoy. He is the way, the truth, and the life. And then Jesus said, Surely I am coming quickly. And we can say, as John said, Even so, come, Lord Jesus. Amen. The question for each and every one of us here in this room tonight and those watching online is, are you ready? Are you ready for the Lord Jesus Christ to come? If you're not, I ask you to give your life to Christ. Now, today is the day of salvation. It is so easy. It is so easy. You ask for forgiveness of your sins. You confess them and you repent and repent turn away from them turn away from them you see jesus christ can help you do that once you confess them and you ask for repentance jesus christ can do that the thief on the cross next to jesus jesus knew his heart when he said to him remember me when i come into your kingdom and jesus really easy words but jesus knew his heart that he was accepting him as who he said he was. And Jesus said to him, today you will be in paradise with me. That can happen to each and every one of us here tonight. So I'm just going to ask you, if you're here tonight and you've never given your life to Jesus Christ, if you're not for certain that if you were to die tonight, 
that you would be in the arms of Jesus Christ and you would like to do that, just raise a hand. I just want to pray for you. If there's anyone here that would like to give their life to Christ that's never done it. Those of you online, if there's any of you that want to give your life to Christ, today is the day to do it. Let's bow and pray. Heavenly Father, I just thank you, Lord, for your word, and I just thank you for this book of Revelation, the unveiling of Jesus Christ, the one, the only Son of God. Lord, I thank you for each and every one of these folks that are here. Lord, I ask you to bless them in a mighty way. I ask you to continue to give them the assurance, Lord, that you are working in their lives. Lord, if there was anyone online that questioned their salvation, Lord, and wants to ask you into their life, Lord, I just pray, Lord, that the Holy Spirit continue to convict them in their hearts, Lord, that they will just take that bold step right now to accept you as the Lord and Savior. Lord, I ask you to continue to be with those that will be coming back from the baptism. Give us travel mercies as we travel back home. And Lord, I just praise you and I thank you. And I ask this all in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. Thanks for listening and being a part of this week's podcast. Before you go, I'd like to invite you to visit our website, hopeforourtimes.com, and check out the many resources we have to offer. On our website, we have books, DVDs, and daily news articles that will always keep you up to date on the times we're living in. If you'd like to see the video version of this week's podcast, you can find us at Hope For Our Times on YouTube. God bless, and we'll talk to you next time.